Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We're honored that you're here, and we pray that you find this message both encouraging and inspiring. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 11 this morning. I'm going to read through verse 16. Now, these are the gifts. I want you to pay very close attention to this. Now, these are the gifts, the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and the complete standard of Christ. This will, this, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Jesus, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its teaching, for its instruction, for its correction, for its rebukes. Jesus, I pray that you would speak something to our hearts this morning in this word. Amen. Amen. Jake, you good, dog? Everybody give it up for Jake this morning. So, a while back, me and Jake both downloaded the same game on Xbox and Madden. And I gave him that work to the point where he, we haven't played in like three months. And I just realized that standing on stage here this morning and I'm kind of upset about it. So... I'm going to need an invite this afternoon for some Madden, okay? Yeah, skip lunch and go straight home, okay? We've got to get Madden going. Um, anyways, I... <laughs> just saying. Um, that's right. Um, I want to finish up the series, This Is Home. A lot of what I have talked about in this series just revolves around what home is, what home is supposed to be. And how I believe that the church is supposed to be a home 
for people with their brokenness, with their issues, with all of those things, all of the things that we have going on in our lives. I think it's supposed to be a place where people can come and feel safe and feel loved and feel accepted and all of that good stuff. Um, And I think one of the things that is hard in modern day church culture. It's very, this is going to sound very self-serving this morning. I didn't, I, I don't like doing stuff like this on like Pastor Appreciation Day or something like this. And I really try to avoid this topic altogether about the purpose of leadership in the church because it, a lot of times it comes off as self-serving, but I'm going to have to talk about it this morning because that's a part of this, right? You can't just exempt parts of what the church is and be like, ah, we, we just don't. We just don't prescribe to that, right? And so um, the, the thing that I think is so hard in our culture is that, especially being a pastor, I can tell you, is that everything you say, everything you say is talked about and thought about with the worst intentions in mind, right? So anything that you say most people assume, most people assume that you were saying that from a vicious place in your heart and you're just a horrible person and nobody should go to your church and you're a heretic and all of that stuff. That's the hard part about being a pastor. That really doesn't bother me a lot of the time because those people don't go to church here anyway. So, <laughs> um, so that, doesn't really, that doesn't really bother me a lot of the times. And if, if those people people do go to church here. Um, I'm open to having a conversation with you about what you think that I preach is wrong. But when you are wrong, just say you're wrong. Okay. Right. I promise you that I read more than you do about theological issues. I promise you. So Potter wants to preach this morning. She has a word from God. Potter, we have a prophetic word. That's what Paul says to do. One, bring a word. Yeah. Anybody got an interpretation of the tongues over here this morning? Yes, In interpretation. I want food. All right. This is the word of God, Potter. Man does not live by bread alone. Yeah. So, one of the things that I want to highlight this morning is home is not just for safety. It's not just for love. It's not just for you to come and feel safe and all that. It's also a place that grows you. It's also a place where maturity is developed, where you have to, like in my house, (laughs) in my house, growing up, like you either grew up or they're going to grow you up, right? You either grew up, figured it out yourself, or they're going to grow you up through fire, you're going to be tried by fire. Um, I remember specifically one moment, uh, my parents were divorced growing up, and I moved with my dad and my stepmom. And this is just a good example of kind of part of the role of the church, I think. Um, I was kind of, when I was with my mom, I was, they let me make whatever grades that I wanted to make. As long as I was passing, that's fine, right? Right? Well, I moved with my dad and my stepmom, 
And they used to say this, if you're going to live in this house, you're going to follow my rules. And the first rule was, if you're going to play sports, you are going to have A's and B's. And you are going to be viciously questioned about your V's, or your, about your B's. And you're going to be, if you make a B, we need to know why you're not participating in class the way that you ought to be participating in class, because it's just unacceptable. That was a rule growing up in my house, right? Never mind the fact that, like, you know, I'm trying as hard as I can. Uh, I just come from a different, I just come from a different, so I transferred between semesters, right? So in one semester, I remember that, this is so strange that I'm telling you this, I had a 57 average in history, 57, right? I finished the year with an 89 average, okay? Nothing changed except I had someone Tell me, you can do this, and you're going to do this. And if you don't do this, this is not what's going to be best for you. And so she put me in a place, my stepmom put me in a place where it's like, okay, you can make C's if you want. That's fine. You just won't play sports. That's fine. You just won't play sports. And I think a lot of the role of the church is not just to tell you and let you live your life however you want to. It's to grow you up into everything that you can be. And we don't like that part of home. But that is the job specifically. That is part of the job of church leadership. It's not to let you be who you necessarily feel like you should be, but it's to identify all of the gold within you and pull that out of you. And so when I moved to be with my stepmom, she saw that I'm totally capable of doing this. So you're going to do it, right? A lot of times in church, because it's like, because we do treat church like a, like it's an event, right? You can just come and go and pop in and pop out, and you don't really have to be connected to the body. A lot of times what happens is, is when someone applies pressure to us, we just leave. Just go find a new church that won't put that pressure on me. And I'm telling you, I don't have a desire to have a big church that is radically immature, that doesn't know the ways of Jesus, that doesn't practice the ways of Jesus, that doesn't prefer others, that it's just like this is an event that happens on Sunday. I have no desire to pastor or lead a church like that. So I'm going to say hard things sometimes. This just happens to be one of those Sundays. So hold on. So how do we take steps towards maturity? This is the first thing that you have to do. And I am speaking from 100% experience here, right? Because when I got saved, I was immature, radically immature. Um, how do we take steps toward maturity? You have to acknowledge that God has given us gifts. You have to acknowledge that God has given us gifts. What does that mean? 
there are people in your life that God has placed, leaders in your life that God has sent. And because he has sent those, you need to acknowledge the fact that they're there. Right? You need to understand that they're there for a reason. Right? Specifically, church leadership here is not here to make life worse. It's to make life better. Right? It's not to make this feel like an institution. It's to make this feel like home. That's why we have leaders here. That's why we have staff here. Their job is to make this feel like home. My job is to guide us in that direction of this place becoming a home for people where they can bring all of their baggage, their brokenness, all of that. Leaders in this church are here to steward that environment. Right? Let me tell you something about about culture. So a lot of times people think that culture just change, that it just changes. You can just go and change the culture. That's not true. You have to change the climate before you change the culture, right? You have to change what something feels like. You have to change what something sounds like. You have to change what something looks like before that you can change an entire culture. Your climate has to say something about who you are. And if your climate doesn't say something about who you are, your culture will never get to the place that you want it to. That's why everything that we do here is radically important. It's all a part of creating a climate or an atmosphere. And if you want a certain culture, then you will have the certain culture that your climate allows. Right? In culture, what gets done in culture is not what you say to do. Trust me, it's not what you say to do. What affects culture is what you allow to happen after you say something to do. Right? Culture is not what you do, it's what you allow. Right? So the culture of my home, it wasn't that I couldn't make A's and B's. It was that I wasn't allowed to make C's. So because my stepmom was like, this is the culture of our home. The climate is different around here. And we're going, this is going to look a certain way. You're going to dress a certain way when you go to school. Everything changed about my climate. So then the culture in here began to change. Right? So leaders are here to primarily establish a climate and a culture. And if I can just be straightforward as I can be this morning, if you don't like the climate and you don't like the culture, this is probably not the place for you. It just isn't, right? This is home. This is a place for everyone. But right, if you can't see that God has given you gifts in leadership and follow that path that they are taking you, because if God thought you should be the pastor here, he would have told Pastor Casey your name. And so if you can't follow whatever the leadership says to do, you should probably go to a place where you can. That's the only place you're going to be able to receive anything anyway. Right? Because you have to not only acknowledge that God has given you gifts, you have to receive them as gifts. 
If you just acknowledge that you have a pastor, that doesn't mean that you listen to your pastor. If you just acknowledge that you have a team leader, that doesn't mean that you listen to the team leader. Right? You have to receive them as God has called them. That's a lot of what church leadership is about. Right? And then in our culture, what we do is, is like, we throw threats out to church leadership, right? Or we don't do what they say to do when we ask them to do them. And this is, this is a rule that I have. I take everyone on their first ultimatum. I, I take every offer, right? So if you don't do this, I'm leaving the church. See ya. There's another church for you, right? But the climate and the culture are worth protecting, and ultimatums don't get to affect that, right? So home has to be home no matter what. There are standards in houses that are to be kept. And if you don't, and I'm not talking about like standards for your life. Like you have to live this way, you have to live this way. I'm not talking about signing some church membership covenant that says all different sorts of stuff. I am saying there is an atmosphere, a climate, and a culture that is a standard that we are trying to create, Right? That's what I'm saying. So the first thing that you have to do if you want to grow in your maturity, you have to acknowledge that God has sent you gifts. You have to acknowledge pastors, leaders, all of those people. You know, you know I do this every day, right? I do this every single day. I acknowledge the leaders in my life every day. I talk to them every day. Every day. And most of it, you know what? It's not about ministry, it's not about ministry. It's about life. Because the job of the church is not to identify a gift and say, all right, here's a mic, or here you're gifted in this way. It's to develop you into the maturity that you were called to in God as it pertains to Ephesians 4. Right? So gifts are not just there to tell you that you're gifted. Leaders are not there to tell you that you're gifted, even though you may be gifted, right? Here's just an awesome reality that I think everyone needs to come to. There are people who are more gifted than you. Growing up in small town Alabama, you're very blinded to the rest of the world. And by I mean blinded, I mean you don't know it exists out there, right? And so, like, I remember, like, a lot of my friends, they're like, I can go play college, whatever. And then they go to, like, a tryout, and it's like, I don't know if I can play college. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. And folks are good. I got invited to go to a camp one time. You know, like, w one thing that will, like, really do you well is if you know you're, like, limitations. I got invited to go to a camp one time and this like defensive end comes out. He like walks out and I'm like, hmm. they can sign me or him. They're going to take him. <laughs> it's like, it don't even matter what I can do. They're taking him. Okay. They're taking him. And that's when I realized like everyone has limitations. And the quicker that you can understand your limitations, the more pain that you will keep yourself from in the area of leadership. So like if you can't do something, just be okay with that. You can do something though. You can do something. 
So you have to acknowledge the gifts, lean into those. So you have to receive encouragement, correction, and love. You have to receive encouragement, correction, and love. If you want to be everything that God has asked you to be as a person, right? The hardest thing to do sometimes is to receive encouragement from leaders when they see something in you that you don't, right? This is one of my biggest flaws as a leader, right? I see potential in everyone, okay? Just because you have potential, though, doesn't mean that you go through a process that allows you to become mature so that that gift can be used appropriately. But I see potential in everyone. If someone says, I have a desire to do this, I'm like, all right, let's put you, let's see what we got, right? I'm very much throw you in the water, see if you come back swimming. Katie says, that's correct, yes. If you want my, if you want my help doing things, I'll help you, but I'm not going to do it for you. I'll throw you a, a, a life raft if you need it. But I'm more worried. I'm not worried. That's why I'm not. The reason I'm like that is because I'm not worried about what you do. Right? So you can be great at this or you can be terrible at this. But if you're not becoming the person that you're supposed to be, then what you do is irrelevant. In the early church, they didn't have all of these roles, <laughs> right? You didn't, have, you didn't have a reason to hire 18 staff at a church. They appointed elders, and they had very high requirements. And they appointed them to help pastor the people. Leaders at this church are not primarily in their roles to do a bunch of stuff. They're in their role to pastor people, right? The more people that we have, I told you, I can't remember when I started that series, everything's a blur, but I told you that it was whenever I hired Brandon, the, one of the reasons that we hired Brandon is not because Brandon is just so extraordinarily gifted at kids' ministry. It's because he pastors people. He cares about people. That's the reason that I brought Brandon on staff. It's not because he has a specific gift that he does well or he doesn't do well. I'm just using Brandon as an example. He did this this morning, so congratulations, Brandon. He pastors people, right? And he gives people encouragement. He gives people correction. I have to tell him how to give people correction, but nevertheless, he corrects them. And he loves people, right? If you're going to mature into everything that you are designed to be, you have to be able to take correction from people. If you can't take correction, you just won't make it. You just ain't going to make it. And by make it, what I mean is you will not make it to whatever God has for you. You're going to survive. You're going to live, right? But if you can't take correction, I had to learn this the hard way, right? I had to learn this a real hard way. 
If you can't take correction, you will never be the person that God has called you to be. If someone can't tell you that there is something off in your life or there's something off with your attitude, then you need an adjustment somewhere. Right? A lot of times, the number one reason why people can't take correction is because they are selfish. And you can't correct selfishness. You have to fire selfishness in the church world. You can't correct it. You have to get rid of it. Life is the only thing most of the time that can correct a stubborn, selfish person. Life has to happen. Your world has to fall in on itself. And I'm not going to make your world fall in on itself. That's not my job. Right? It's not my job at all. It's not my job to bring the hammer every single time that something goes wrong. But it is my job to say, hey man, like if you don't, if you don't like fix your attitude, that could be problematic for you long term. Right? And like, so, so you're, you're probably sitting there asking like, hey Cole, you've never told me that before. I probably won't unless you ask. <laughs> your team, that's your team leader's job. Right? That's why they're in their place. I've had someone ask me one time, they were like, I want you to be brutally honest with me about this. My initial response was, I don't think you really do. <laughs> I don't think you do. I don't think you want me to be brutally honest about this. But it's funny, like in church, we think that if you just correct the pastor enough, like if you're just brutally honest with the pastor enough, he'll just listen to you one day. No. <laughs> no. Like, honestly, the more, the more rude you are to your leader, the greater distance you're putting between y'all two. Right? And you have a gift there that could equip you to do everything that God's called you to do, and you put distance between you and them by your attitude. And it's not like the pastor is like sitting in his office. I am a pastor, so I can speak from experience. It's not like I'm sitting in here in the office like, who has a bad attitude today? I would prefer nobody. But like the things that will keep you from being what you're supposed to be is that you have a bad attitude consistently and nobody can check you on it. Or you just do whatever you want to do, no matter who tells you what, and nobody can check you on it. You will lock yourself out of places that you could go because of those two things. In your job, you'll lock yourself out of promotions because of bad attitude. You'll lock yourself out of raises that people want to give you, but they can't in, their, in good conscience, right? That's what will happen if your attitude is terrible. The last thing that you have to be able to receive is love. You have to let people love you. Stop being so distant. You're hurting yourself. Like at home... If you are distant from the family, there's something that you're missing. 
even if you don't want it. Even if it's not fun in the moment, you will, if you do not let people who were put in your life love you, you will, you, you will never grow into everything that God's called you to be. And love looks like a, it looks different for everyone. The greatest thing that ever happened to me, one of the greatest things, one of the, the transformational moments of my entire life was when my stepmom said, you are not going to be that way in this house. Because I saw that I was capable of more than what I was currently doing. And unless you allow people to love you that way too, it'll be a long road. It's not going to be fun. Right? And I'm not setting up here like I'm 57 and know everything and been through all of this life, but I can pull lots of people up here that would say the same things. Listen, wisdom is not always learning through your own experience. It's learning through everyone's experience. And so when someone who is older and wiser than you cautions you against something, you probably want to listen. Especially if it's a life decision. Right? If y'all are just going back and forth about, I mean, I don't even know. Like if, if Tom tells you that Jordan is better than LeBron, you better listen to him. Okay? This is wisdom. When was Jordan ever 0-5? Lost to the Kings. You lost to the kings, LeBron. But if somebody is older, wiser, has been through more, wants to speak into your life, let them. Okay? The third thing, you have to believe what God says. You have to believe what God says about you. Right? You have to believe what God says about you. A lot of our problems with maturity, I'm just being honest with you, are theological issues. We think God is crazy. We think he's... Some, some of the times people like describe things about God, and I'm just like, we'll pass on that one. None of my business, yeah. But you have to believe what God says about you. And that, a lot of times, it involves you reading the Bible. <laughs> right? Have you ever asked, like someone ever said before, like, what does God have to say about me? What does God have to say about me? What does God have to say about me? And then you're like, how often do you read the Bible? It's like, once every month or so. There's a correlation there. Right? A lot of times people don't know the nature of God even because they don't read the Bible. Or they read the Bible through a very southern lens and then everything from that point is like we're having to undo all sorts of stuff from that. Jesus was not southern. Okay? It was Middle Eastern. Right? He was not from Tennessee. Right? Everybody's like, I'm offended. I'm offended. His hand is on the vols this year, though. It's his hand. Yes. 
Kevin's like, amen. He's an extra offering for that. His hand is on the vaults. You have to believe what God says about you, right? We think God is like, really we think he's a psychopath. I can prove it to you. You do a certain thing, and because you did that certain thing, you are going to burn in sulfur for all of eternity. And there's nothing that you can do to save your wicked self. That's who we think God is. This is what Jesus said. If your child asks you for a loaf of bread, would you give him a stone? Or if your child asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? No is the answer to that question. Unless you are a psychopath. Right? And we need to get you help. And so then Jesus says this, this, this term. He says, if, if you... He's talking to the Pharisees. You are evil. He just calls the Pharisees straight up. He's like, you, you guys are evil. So if you know that that's crazy, why do you think God does that? Let me just create a, a picture for you. So if Beckham, there's a watermelon sitting on our counter right now. Thank you to Brooklyn Woodall. That was our gift when she came into town and visited. She brought us a watermelon. Thanks. <laughs> And if Beckham, Beckham has been climbing up on our counter recently, he's also been climbing everywhere. So climbing on our counter, up his dresser, out of his crib, everywhere that you, there is possible. To, the bookshelf that is nailed to the wall, thank God. Um, everything that is available for climbing is just an opportunity for him. So if he climbs up there and knocks the watermelon in the floor, and I have told Beckham 800 times, Get out of the chair. Stop standing in the chair on the edge of the chair by the counter. And he just looks over. He's like, all right, I'm going to go back to what I was doing. So if he, if he gets up there and he knocks the watermelon in the floor. And I cut my oven on broil. And I throw him in there. That's exactly what you should say. Oh my gosh. Because that's exactly how we talk about God. That's exactly how we talk about God. We think he's a psycho. We think that we are morally superior to him. Because I wouldn't do that. But if God would, I have a moral high ground. Because he should go to prison. If that happened, if I did that, I hope that I would go to prison. But if God does that, it's just fine. His ways are just different than our ways. God's mysterious. 
mystical. God's goodness is not different than our goodness. It's better than our goodness. It's not other than. It's better. It is superior. God is the superior to every and all things good that you could possibly ever be. He is superior to that. So we think about God as a judge primarily. Ready to bring the heat. Literally. But we don't think about him as a father. And that is part of the reason why we can't mature into everything that we are supposed to be. Because you need a father to help you grow into everything that you're supposed to be. It is so important. It is so important. And so, but we think that God the Father is a psychopath, number one. And he's growing us in and maturing us into everything that we're supposed to be because he loves us so much. And somehow through all of this, we're going to be good to go. But I don't think that's who God is at all. I don't think that's who he is. And if he is that, I for sure don't serve him. Because he's crazy. Got a little quiet. I'm saying as plainly as I can that you should not serve a God who would do that. And we think about God's wrath as like this other separate part of him. We think about God in categories. You ever notice that? In the West, we think, we think about God in category error because God is not a category that we can just imagine. So he's not wrath and love and goodness and, you know, bad. He's not truth and love. God is love. That's what his word says. Right? There's two places in the Bible that actually describe the character of God. One is in Exodus, and one is in 1 Corinthians. The first one in Exodus is compassionate. The second one is love. But we think that his wrath is just waiting to destroy everything about who Wes is if Wes has something wrong in his life. That's what we think about the wrath of God. You probably heard me tell this story before, but um, when Beckham was younger than he is now, exploring how to climb out of his crib, he would get his leg stuck every day. Every single day. And so I had not experienced the depth of scream that Beckham lets out of his lungs when his leg is stuck and he can't get where he wants to go. So I'm sitting downstairs during the day and I just hear everything's quiet. And then it's just like, boom! I mean, a crazy scream just comes from his bedroom. So I like, shoot, I think somebody's in the house. I'm like, this jujitsu is about to pay off, big dog. This jujitsu. 
I am about to leg lock this dude so fast. And uh, so I get to Beckham's room and his leg stuck. And it's just like brutal. He is screaming. He is crying. He's panicking. And I am like, we got to get his leg out of there. So I like reach to grab these two posts. And Anna like comes in behind me. She's like, no, 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 I've done this before. And I'm ready to like break this crib. I'm ready to rip the crib apart because he was hurting. But the God that we serve, he goes in and wipes Beckham out and the whole crib. I'm serious. Because we think that God's judgment is aimed directly at us. And I walked in, I heard the Holy Spirit say, after that, I'm walking downstairs, he's like, that's what my wrath is like. When you're in pain, my wrath is aimed at the things that are causing you pain. Paul says it like this, all of the stuff that we have in our life is going to be tried by fire, but you're going to be saved. And so I was ready to try these boards by fire. There's also another time I had a... You can come on up. Um, I'm not actually going to do the fourth point. I don't think so. If you want to know the fourth point, it's engage. That's what the thing is. Um, there was another time... I can't remember when I had this dream, but it was after Beckham was born and walking... And um, I have this dream, and in this dream, I am standing in my kitchen, and Beckham comes down the stairs, and he has this mask on. And like, I was like, buddy, why do you have that mask on? And he's just like giggling and playing and fighting with Winston and doing all of that fun stuff. You can stand to your feet. And as I see him with this mask on, I, like in the dream, this is what happens. I'm like, why do you have the mask on? And I go to take this mask off of him. And as soon as I go to take this mask off of him, he panics because he has fallen upstairs doing something that he was not supposed to do that was the vibe that I got and he did not want me to see all of the things that were going on beneath his mask all of his scars all of his bruises and I remember I was standing there and in the dream the Lord wakes me up and he says this is you with me there's still parts of you that think that I am afraid of all of your scars and all of your bruises and all of the things that are going on within you. And then he says this, but I prefer you without the mask, with all the scars, with all the bruises, with all of the issues, over a you that's not even real 
And if you want to mature into everything that God has called you to be, you have got to let the fiery, uncomfortable love of God impact you in a way that you've never let it before. You've got to take off the mask. You've got to let him see all of the stuff. Because until you, until, if you're going to walk around with the mask on, that's fine. God will always be there. I would have always stayed in the kitchen in that dream. Beckham's running around with the mask on. I would have always stayed there. I would have never left him. But I couldn't have fixed what was going on if I wouldn't have been able to look behind the mask. And some of you think that God wants to look behind the mask and when he does, he's going to be ashamed of what he sees. That's what some of you think. And I would never be ashamed of Beckham because he had issues going on. And God will never be ashamed of you because you have issues going on. But you got to show him everything. If this is going to be home, you've got to be real with him. You've got to be real with him. 